Welcome to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We invite you to open your Bibles and follow along with us as we study God's Word together. Hello, I'm Cody Westbrook, and you're listening to the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast, a work of the Southwest Church of Christ in Austin, Texas. We're working our way through the timeline or through the story of the Bible. And you may remember that in Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 7, the Lord, after uh, bringing Abraham to the land of Canaan, said, To your descendants I will give this land. Now that we arrive in the book of Joshua, we are seeing that promise come to fulfillment. Between Genesis 12 and verse 7 and the beginning of the book of Joshua, as you remember over our last several episodes, We find the children or the descendants of Abraham in Egyptian captivity uh, once the book of Genesis ends and the book of Exodus begins. But God raised up Moses to go before Pharaoh and to command him to let the people of God go. And after Pharaoh's rejection, his hardened heart, and the plagues upon Egypt, Pharaoh relented. And Moses led the children of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, out of the land of Egypt to Mount Sinai, where they received the law and where they received the covenant from God. After having been at Mount Sinai to receive the law, to receive the covenant, they began on their way to the land of Canaan. But as you remember from last week in the book of, the, in the book of Numbers, the people began to complain. And when Moses sent spies to spy out the land of Jordan, the people complained more. And they said it would be better for us to remain in Egypt, even to die in Egypt, than to have been led out and to die in the wilderness. The people were afraid and the people were faithless. And so the people murmured. And so God would not allow that generation to enter into the land of Canaan. Instead, they wandered through the wilderness for a period of 40 years. And then in the book of Deuteronomy, as that initial generation has now passed on and the next generation has stepped up, God reminds them of the law. He reminds them of the covenant. He reminds them of the promises that he had made to Abraham and to Isaac and Jacob And he promises that he will be their God and that he will provide for them and protect them and fight for them and lead them into the land that he promised to their fathers. But their responsibility was to be obedient to his will and to follow his commands. Now we pick up at the beginning of the book of Joshua. As the book begins, there are three things that should be at the forefront of our minds. First of all, Moses has died. He dies toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy, and in his place comes Joshua. Joshua is now the leader of God's people, and so in the first few verses rather, of chapter 1, God will speak directly to Joshua for the purpose of giving him courage, commanding him to be courageous, and preparing him to be the leader that God would have him to be as the children of Israel are preparing to cross over the Jordan River and conquest the land of Canaan, which had been promised to God, to Abraham, all the way back in Genesis chapter 12. The 40-year time period also is over. Remember the 40-year wilderness wandering because of the generation that came out of Egypt, the wicked and idolatrous generation 
that murmured and that complained and that had no faith. And now, finally, number three, Israel is currently, at the beginning of the book, on the east side of the Jordan River, preparing to cross over. Another few matters, uh, another few points, rather, of importance, just to write down, maybe in your notes or in the margin of your Bible, is, number one, the dating or the chronology of these events. In the book of Joshua, we're reading about what may be called the period of conquest or the conquest period. And that period ranges from approximately 1407 to 1367 B.C. Again, that's 1407 to 1367 B.C. That is the approximate time span uh, which the book of Joshua will cover. Another thing that needs to be kept in mind is the land promise. We've already talked about it uh, initially at the beginning of our study from Genesis chapter 12 and verse number 7. God promised to give the land of Canaan to the descendants of Abraham. We read about it in Genesis 12. We read about it in Genesis chapter 22 and several other places. But in Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 to 45, the Bible will confirm that that land promise had then been fulfilled. Listen to these passages. Joshua 21, verse 43 to 45. The Bible says, So the Lord gave to Israel all of the land of which he had sworn to give their fathers. And they took possession of it, and they dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass." So notice then how we're beginning to connect things together. God makes the promise in Genesis chapter 12, and now at the end of the book of Joshua, God has fulfilled the promise. So the Israelites, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they are all now settled in the land of Canaan, which is what God promised again in Genesis chapter 12. Another reason why it is important to note this land promise and very briefly, is because those in the religious world who are proponents of the doctrine of premillennialism will often talk about the land promise and how God never fulfilled that promise. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says clearly that that land promise has been fulfilled and that it will not be fulfilled sometime in the future. It has been fulfilled and completed. Now, as we look at the content of the book of Joshua, there are four main sections in this book. <clears throat> First of all, in chapters 1 through 5, we have what really might be uh, viewed as a preparatory section, a preparing time. God prepares Joshua to lead in chapter 1, and Israel makes preparation to enter into the promised land and makes preparation uh, to cross the Jordan River and preparing themselves for the conquest that is to come. Then, in chapters 6 through 12, we read about the conquest. And we see Israel overtaking places like Jericho and Ai and Gibeon and a number of other places and a number of other battles and conflicts. Then in chapters 13 through 21, the conquest has completed 
And so now Israel and the tribes of Israel, Joshua, I should say, begins to divide the land, divide the inheritance, uh, the different portions of that land amongst all of the tribe and the people of Israel. And then in the last couple of chapters of the book, Genesis 22 through 24, Israel simply dwells in the land. And there are some final statements that are given uh, at the end of the book. But I want you to focus with me for just a moment on chapter 24 and verse 31 because there is a statement here that at first glance might not seem much. But when we really think about all that it implies, it's actually a very important passage. Joshua 24:31 says this, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all of the days of the elders who outlived Joshua who had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Now notice the Bible specifies that Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all of the days of the elders who outlived Joshua. And the reason why that statement is so important is because now the book of Joshua ends and the book of Judges begins and we see a completely different picture. You'll notice in Judges chapter 1 verse 1, The Bible says, Now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass, the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? Now the strange thing about the question is that the Canaanites should have already been defeated. But more about that in just a moment. As we enter into the book of Judges, now chronologically, we're looking at a time period that covers from approximately 1367 B.C., to 1043 B.C. Again, that's 1367 B.C. to 1043 B.C. And in this time period, we'll also uh, have the events of the book of Ruth. Now, the reason why the book is called Judges is because we read of a number of judges in the book. Now, the role of a judge in the book of Judges might be a little bit different than what we're thinking. A judge in this book plays the role of, number one, a military leader. Second, as we might commonly think, he plays the role of one who decides court cases, one who decides matters of the law, right and wrong, and so on. But finally, he is simply a leader of the people of God who encourages their faithfulness. Now, in the book of Judges, there are 12 of these judges, 12 total judges. And the reason why we read so much about these judges is because of this judges cycle that happens in this book. But first, before we look at the cycle or talk about it, I want to notice something that happens toward the end of the first chapter of Judges. I want you to notice what we see in Judges chapter 1, verse 27 and following. Notice this. However, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shean and all its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages. Keep going. Verse 29, nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites, nor did Zebulun, verse number 30, drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, nor did Asher or Naphtali, or so on and so forth. Do you see what the problem is here? God's instructions to the children of Israel were to go into the land of Canaan and to completely uh, rid the land of Canaan of the Canaanites. But they failed, they failed to carry out the will of God as he had legislated. 
And all the way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 23 and verse number 33, God had warned the children of Israel that if allowed, the Canaanites would become snares to them, that they would become entrapments for them. And that is exactly what we see happen in the book of Judges. Now we go to Judges chapter 2, and I want to read this together. It's a bit of a lengthy reading, but it describes what we call the Judges cycle. That is, this cycle or this circle of events that unfolds over and over again throughout the pages of this book. The scripture says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths, and the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. So he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who spoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods and bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way in which their fathers walked. In obeying the commandments of the Lord, they did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all of the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of them who oppressed and who harassed them. And it came to pass, when the judge was dead, that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Now, you see this cycle that is overviewed in these passages. The children of Israel would begin to be unfaithful to God. They would begin worshiping idols. They would begin uh, engaging in all of the godlessness and the wickedness of the Canaanites in the land, who, by the way, should not have been there to begin with because the children of Israel were commanded to uh, defeat them and to remove them, and yet they failed. And so when the children of Israel would displease God and rebel against him, their enemies would be uh, allowed to overcome them. And then they would plead to God to save them in penitence. And so God would raise up a judge who would come and who would deliver them and encourage and lead the people back to faithfulness. But as soon as the judge died, the cycle started all over again. And the next generation behaved corruptly and wickedly just like, just like their fathers and so we see the same thing happening over and over and over again. Another two passages that really are uh, come to mind to, uh, to, to overview or by way of summary of this book are Judges 17.6 and Judges 21.25. Both of those passages say the same thing, that in those days there was no king over Israel, and so everyone did which is right in his own eyes. So the book of Joshua and Judges they take us from approximately 1407 to 1043 B.C. It is a time period in which the children of Israel conquest the land of Canaan and inherit the land that God promised. And it is also a time period which might be characterized as the darkest time period in the history of the children of Israel. The Dark Ages, if you will. 
Because their wickedness continued every generation, God would raise up a judge to deliver them, but they would go right back into their wickedness. But in the book of 1 Samuel, we read of a man by the name of Samuel who is the last judge. He is born to a very godly woman named Hannah. We can read about that in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 1 Samuel chapter 2. But Hannah and her son Samuel stand in contrast to Eli, who was the high priest, and his wicked sons Hophni and Phinehas. And because of the wickedness of Eli and Hophni and Phinehas, the ark of the Lord was stolen by the Philistines. And God, uh, God punished Eli and his house and his family by saying, The line stops with you. No one else shall serve as priest out of your line or out of your lineage. But Samuel, he, he arises as a prophet of God and again as the last of the judges. And one of the most important sections in the book of 1 Samuel takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and in 1 Samuel chapter 8. Where the ark of God, or excuse me, uh, where Israel in 1 Samuel chapter 8 demands a king. They speak out to Samuel and they say, Samuel, we want a king to rule over us like the nations around us. Samuel, of course, is very saddened by this and he approaches God because of it. And God says, Samuel, they have not rejected you. They have rejected me. And so God instructs Samuel to do as the people ask and to give them a king to rule over them. And as you well know, the first king to rule over the children of Israel will be Saul. And Saul's reign will be less than ideal. Saul will eventually be replaced by David, who is described as a man after God's own heart. And David will lead the nation of the children of Israel to greatness. And yet David was a man who certainly had his flaws. But that's the end of our episode today. Next, On our next episode, we will discuss in more detail Saul and David and their kingships and all of the events of the uh, children of Israel revolving around that time. We appreciate you taking the time to, uh, to listen to this episode, and we hope that you will uh, listen to our future episodes as we continue to open up the Bible and study more of the wonderful Word of Life. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Word of Life Bible Study Podcast please visit our website at swcofc.org for more information about the Southwest Church of Christ. And if you're in the Austin area, please come and visit with us. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we open up our Bibles and study more of the wonderful Word of Life.